0: It just wouldn't happen, yet God allows it on record in his book. And he says, if you want to shout against me, you're my children. I allow it. You're allowed to. So we looked at how sometimes quick acceptance of fate, saying, inshallah, may not be the Christian thing to do. It's a different place to thy will be done. But here Job has gone through and God says to him, you are my servant. He then challenges Job's accusers. And he says to them, I'm not pleased with you. These were three theologians who thought they were standing up for God. Everything was going wrong for someone, and their prime concern was to defend the status of the divine person. They didn't want anyone scandalizing God, so they therefore ripped into God's child in order to protect God. And God says, you've not done well. (laughs) You've not done well. Charles Spurgeon was once asked how he could defend the scriptures, how he could defend the Bible. He said, defend the Bible. This is the great 19th century Baptist preacher. He filled auditoriums in London when he was 19 years of age. Defend the Bible, he said. I'd rather defend a lion. (laughs) I'd rather defend a lion. And in this era of social media and tweeting and of the Lord's Prayer being banned from cinemas allegedly what should we be doing? Should we be going on the offensive to defend the dear lords? No, he says, I can defend myself quite happily. Thank you very much. Don't belittle someone else to defend me. And here, Joe, pray for your friends that they might be rescued as well. And Joe prays for his dear friends. And God then restores to him extraordinary prosperity. Firstly, people come to him And they comfort him and they console him and they bring him treasures. That's 10 verses uh, 10 through to 11. And then the Lord Himself divinely blesses the latter part of Job's life more than the first. You'll notice if you read the numbers carefully that He has twice as many sheep, twice as many camels, twice as many oxen, twice as many donkeys, but mercifully only the same number of sons and daughters. And the daughters are named, the sons aren't named, very significant. Jemima, Keziah, and Karen Hapuk. They are the most beautiful in the land, and they get an equal inheritance alongside their brothers. And if you don't understand the significance of that, that's utterly radical, that they get a tenth part alongside their brothers. This is one of the original feminist pieces, if you like, kicking in. Jabe lives 140 years after that, which suggests it's very, very early in the account of scriptures as it, not long after the fall and the flood people's lifespans were extraordinarily longer in scriptural terms how you interpret that we could talk about over coffee sometime um and he sees his children significantly to the fourth generation the fourth generation being the sign of deep blessing do you remember god's promise to um to moses is that he'll bless to the third and fourth generation um, could, curses could go down to the third or fourth generation but it's obvious that a legacy kicks down over those four generations Then he dies old and full of years which is the best you can say pretty much of anyone in the Old Testament they've lived a long life and they have been prosperous he's had this blip in the middle it's been difficult, a hard time uh, but he ends up prosperous ah, you might think isn't that what his three friends were saying in the first place? <laughs> in the closed system, if you've been a good chap, it's supposed to work out well for you. <laughs> and over a minor blip in his life, it works out extraordinarily well for him. He still ends up being uh, the Bill Gates of his era. Uh, what's, what's not to like? <laughs> what's not to like? And we asked early on in this series, is Job's response to suffering a sufficiently Christian response. And I want to ask now with us briefly, is the scripture response to Job's suffering and the prosperity he gets a sufficiently Christian response as well? In other words, if you're here going through the, the mix today, uh, can you expect that behind every cloud there is a silver lining? Can you expect that there will be a cake on your plate while you wait tomorrow? <laughs> can you expect God's bounteous and abundant physical provision for you here on earth is that what he's promising to us and that's a big question isn't it it's a question that's divided churches and has in fact fueled the growth of many churches there are preachers all over london who today will be preaching something along the lines of if you send in your money um, god will multiply what you give it will expand greatly and you will be great if you are struggling at the moment with your finances make sure you give not just your tithe into the church but an extra bit as well and god will multiply it to you and there are scriptures that back that up to some degree if you invest in god if you do what's right he will bless you back it was being commonly critiqued as a theology in um in the comfortable middle class church (laughs) White middle-class church in particular. Comfortably critiqued and um, as we drive around in our nice four-by-fours and in our semi-detached houses, <laughs> saying, no, God doesn't promise prosperity <laughs> to you poor people. We've got it already. <laughs> don't, don't, don't rise above your station, poor people. But in the poorer churches, it's been something that's given people great hope for, for this life. Interestingly, the speaker that we've got... Uh, coming over to St. Albans today. is a very impressive speaker. He's a man called Joel Edwards. He was the chair of the Evangelical Alliance. And I remember reading an article he wrote on prosperity theology um, and people critiquing prosperity theology, the idea that God wants to increase your wealth and your health now. And he said, when we came over from Jamaica and no one wanted us here and we were dead poor, we had to pray for our daily bread. And we found that God provided he gave. And those of you who critique this while sitting in your nice heated houses with lots of food on your plate and stuff to chuck into the garbage afterwards may not understand what it's like to be desperate and longing for God to provide. Because my experience, he said, was that God provided when I needed it. So it's interesting perspective, isn't it? When you start to critique what people are saying, do you know what it's like to be in their place? But is it, is it what God wants for us now? I want to suggest that there's a a yes, maybe answer to this. Jesus in uh, Luke 17 is talking in a a slightly different context, Luke 18 rather, talking in a slightly different context to his disciples. Got out the big Bible for this one. (laughs) And um, he says, uh, when asked about a rich man, whether he can enter the kingdom of heaven, um, Jesus says it's rather difficult to do so. Peter responds, no, I've left everything. Um, I'm, I'm doing all right. I've left everything to follow you, God. <laughs> I'm not holding anything back, Jesus. Have you seen me? Um, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one who's left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. At both hands in this age and in the age to come an eternal life. Jesus says there will be marks of God's provision in this life and in eternity everything will be there. So let's try and unpick that. When we started out looking at the book of Job, we said that there might be four responses to the question of suffering and they had different long words to them. Pastoral, um, there was the uh, incarnational, the one about Jesus. There's the philosophical. Um, which we have in the notes for us, and we have the eschatological. And eschatological was the one about waiting for the end, when God makes everything work right in the end. And this, I think, is the key difference between Job's situation and ours. For Job, um, he cries out in Job 14.14 that there is no life after death. (laughs) He cries out that there's no life after death. He He says... This is all I've got. This is all I've got. For the Christian, we believe in something very different, don't we? Because we live after one man invaded the earth, came down and destroyed and conquered death on the cross. And rose again, crashing away that ancient curse that death was the end of it all. We live in a different era and in a different time. Payback can happen on a different scale. Yes, it's true that Job at one point does say in Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that I will live to see him. But he's very ambivalent about what comes next. In fact, the whole Old Testament canon is full of uncertainty about what comes next. It's only really when Jesus comes in that we get clarity about heaven and about hell. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else. If you've heard that the Old Testament God is mean and nasty and Jesus is rather nice and fluffy, read the Gospels. (laughs) He's not particularly (laughs) easy to get along with. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that Jim Elliot, when he dies as a martyr in Ecuador, is told in the book Through the Gates of Splendor, it means that that's not the end of the story for him. (laughs) It means that his life wasn't wasted when he died in his 20s. But it has a legacy going on. Paul himself says, if there's no resurrection, our faith is in vain. Paul spent his life being stoned, shipwrecked, beaten, (laughs) without a home to live in. If he had a wife, she left him when he got converted. (laughs) He had no prosperity to hold on to, and yet he said that he was more blessed than, than anyone else. Jesus Christ didn't have a home to put his head in. He said, foxes have got holes, birds have got nests, but the Son of Man has got nowhere to lay his head down. He was an eschatological person. Paul was an eschatological person. And the church is an eschatological church. In other words, we're not just dependent on cake on the plate while we wait. (laughs) There's pie in the sky when we die. And the pie in the sky when we die is even better than swapner's servings in a cafe. It's worth waiting for. It's worth waiting for. And yet Jesus does say, doesn't he, that there will be blessings in this life as well. There was someone in church this week who's traveled around the world quite a lot. And she was saying that wherever she goes in the world, she finds Christian brothers or sisters who take her into her home. The gospel means that you've got a family in every city, in every country of the world. (laughs) Is that not amazing? Have you ever done that? I remember traveling to Malaysia not knowing a single person in the country and being so warmly received and taken into people's homes because I was a Christian brother. (laughs) I wonder how good we are at reciprocating that here in the UK. Hopefully not too bad. Um, But we've got brothers and sisters everywhere. The provisions of heaven are ours collectively for us. But we're living for a different agenda, aren't we? We're not living for materialism now. We're living for salvation that goes on and on forever. God can provide now and he does provide now. He provides miraculously. And he tells us to pray for our daily bread that we may have everything we need, the provisions we need. But we are not dependent solely on this life now. We have a hope that goes on forever. It's how we can endure hard things. If you read the books on suffering, the Christian books on suffering, time and time again, they'll say something like, if it wasn't for the cross and the resurrection, I couldn't trust in God. Well, biblically, that's poppycock. (laughs) Because Job's here trusting in God without any of those things. And so are all the ones before Jesus. But it certainly helps, doesn't it? The cross and resurrection. A God who knows what it's like to suffer. And a God who conquers and devours death itself and sin. Destroys it, eats it in, drinks it in. And crucifies it in himself on the cross. And says in place of that rubbish, that pain, that bereavement, that illness, that sickness. Here's life everlasting. You're going to have it fully forever and ever if you just choose to trust me. But because we also pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, why not pray for foretastes of it now? More and more foretastes of heaven now. So if you're going through tough things, what can we conclude? We conclude that God is a good God who loves to restore, who loves to give us back, who loves to bless us. We understand that sometimes if we get everything now in this life, there's not always a lot left over to come. The parable Jesus told of a rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus the poor beggar, uh, they both die and the rich man has nothing in eternity and Lazarus has everything in eternity and Abraham I think says to to the rich man, you had it all already, (laughs) you spent it all already, you spent your spiritual capital already on earth, you didn't store up any treasures in heaven. We understand that the place we want our treasures to be is in heaven, not now. It's not in a Lamborghini. It's not in a holiday cottage in Cornwall or Lanzarote. (laughs) It's not in the amount of money in our bank. We invest in a greater bank than can be found here on earth. We invest our treasures in heaven. And it lasts forever. Job only had 140 more years to work it out in. (laughs) You'll have 140 millennia or billions of years to live a fruitful life in. His life was limited. Your life is expansive. His life was material. Life is spiritual beyond all materialism. You can expect blessings now, but don't hold on to those as if they're what really matters. What matters is going to go on forever and ever. Because someone did a divine exchange so that your life could go on forever and ever. May God bless his word to us today. Amen. let's